Um, so, again, welcome to our Equip Hour. Uh, we have started um, First Peter, which will take us a little while to work through, but um, our introduction uh, to First Peter um, is meant to be a three-week um, study. And uh, the last two weeks have been... Um, Dave uh, has uh, provided us a view of the author, and the author is Peter. And Peter, um, he, he, he talked about Peter the man, and then Peter man, the man God used. And how exciting of a study was that? That was like, wow, if God can use somebody like Peter, you know, um, in, in who he was and his strengths and his great weaknesses then God can use any one of us. Amen? Amen. Yeah. And so today, I'm, I'm, uh, my intent, my, my learning objective, okay, is to provide you a view of the rest of the overview of the book of 1 Peter. And on top of that, I want to spend quite a bit of time talking through um, how we bridge 1 Peter to today. And I want to be able to provide you clarity as to how that bridge takes place. Because sometimes we get so involved in the day-to-day efforts that we have that we absolutely cannot draw the conclusions that I believe our adversary is preparing in this world, this hemisphere, this country this state, this city that he's doing. So I want us to have our eyes opened to that bridge, bridge to today. And then I want to conclude with what's the so what. Okay, That's my goal today. There are times today that we will go really quick. There are times today we'll focus a little bit more that that will be the approach that we'll use in our time together today. My intent is to bring you lots of information, but to try to distill it down to what, me, what, what makes sense and what, what has meaning in our time. Okay? So, um, when you think, first question here, when you think of suffering for your faith, what kind of situations come to your mind? Please provide specific examples. Just out loud. Children, Children work, health, finances. Okay, good. Family. Family. Definitely. Jewish background. Holocaust. Okay. Christians in China and Muslim nations. Third world countries. Okay, good. And uh, what are some examples of, from Scripture of people who were persecuted for their faith? Paul, the apostles, all of them died except for John, right? Uh, a martyr's death. Stephen's, Stephen stoning. Absolutely. Yet to come, but it's, it's on its way. Yep. Others? Old Testament, definitely. Noah, okay. Definitely. hundred years of, you know, um, I'm going to walk this road and nobody's ever seen rain, right? Um, Nehemiah, yeah, big persecution. Uh, let me see, you were talking to who last week? <laughs> God? <laughs> Daniel and his three friends? Yep, Definitely. Lots of good examples. Why do you think we as believers in the United States have not experienced the kind of suffering and persecution to the extent of, that our brothers in the rest of the world are and throughout history? We were, 
Okay, maybe founded as a Christian nation. Compromises. Yeah, yeah. I mean, granted we have this kind of, I'll call it, umbrella of grace that has somehow been bestowed upon this country that, by the way, has never been bestowed on any country in the history of the world. Whether you know that or not. (laughs) Not really. Okay? And we take it so for granted, right? And... uh, and, and, and what Herb just mentioned here is, is, you know, maybe, maybe, again, if I read Scripture, he sa- it says that when I am clear about standing for my faith, then I will face what? I will face persecution. So, so if the antithesis is there, to your point, then I have to ask myself some tough questions, probably. Okay? Yeah, what else? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. Others? Okay, do you believe that that's about to change? Yeah. When, yeah. when we're done with today, you will believe that with all your heart. Okay? We're being attacked, yep. Um, what, what are some ways that this might happen from an attack perspective or from a, a persecution perspective, do you think? Uh, yep. 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 Okay. Sure. Now, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of charity organizations that aren't even Catholic, you know, I mean, it, it is a, it's an affront on the First Amendment as we know today. Um, what else? Okay. Prayer, really kind of being discouraged sometimes, right? And I think this is, yeah. Okay. We'll give in there, yeah. we'll give this or there, we'll, we'll make an issue today, you know, work right, you know, okay, fine, you know, I don't want to look well, we weird. And, or, and, and it comes out, stand for Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in my work circle, God is not always, I mean, they've got not necessarily yep. right. God is not always the topic, but it's just like... Yeah, you can get away with talking about God, can't you? But you talk about Jesus, oh my goodness. Life just changed. (laughs) Yeah, life just changed, amen. Or Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. (laughs) By the way, Christ isn't his last name. I don't know if you all knew this, okay, but... (laughs) Okay, um, so we're going to talk about the rest of these um, in our time together today. So if you would, take your hand out, and uh, we're going to start our time together. And uh, uh, I, I want to announce to you that uh, we have an Equip webpage that is uh, on our homepage. If you look on the bottom right corner there, you go to vcob.org, you will see the Equip Hour there. If you click on that there on the right-hand side, Equip Hour, you'll come to um, our own homepage. How exciting. And so what I want you to do is be able to see that we have laid out for the entire First Peter study what is happening each week, what the topic is, and um, also provide to you clarity uh, as it pertains to um, what's coming up. If you'll notice the uh, circle, the circle is a personal study that I have worked on, Dave, we've, we're going to collaborate on, and lots of you have told, your, told me that your learning style is about engaging personally in the text and, and being able to do that um, from a learning perspective outside of this room, and theoretically coming to this room with, 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 with a whole bunch of answers and, 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 and having already exercised the, 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 the questions. And so... You have there 50 pages of questions that will take you through this year for sure. We'll get the rest of them up there in some time, okay? But just pull it down. You got it. You can start to engage it. And this will give you a running head start for any given week. As to the que- Lots of times the questions that we'll cover on the front end will actually be some of the ones that we'll talk about here, okay? 
Um, so I want to start with, if you would, um, the occasion for the letter. The occasion for the letter. This is page two in your notes. <clears throat> when we look at the occasion for the letter, first of all, turn with me to First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. The occasion for the letter. What we're going to find here is is uh, truth versus error. When we talk about how throughout history, when truth comes to confront error, what happens is this thing called conflict. And conflict is, is where the explosion takes place. Because either you believe that everything's relative, or you believe that something's true and something's false. And that alone sets up the great conversation, <laughs> right? Great conversation. Second is the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. The kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. In this engagement of con- where conflict begins, you see opposition, rejection, ostracism, scorn, contempt, persecution, suffering, and martyrdom. And that tends to take its course depending upon how 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 great this great this conflict is. Okay? The third one here is children of God versus the children of the devil. Children of God versus the children of the devil. This is almost always a one-way challenge. It's pushing from the right to the left. And what we see here is persecution. Persecution. And so this is the context of First Peter. This is the occasion for the letter. It has not yet hit them. It's amazing to me that this is almost exactly where we stand today. The storm clouds are on the horizon in Peter's day. Nero is about to, to make Rome burn. And after that, everything breaks loose. And Peter knows this. And he writes this letter to prepare their hearts for great persecution. That is the purpose of our time this morning and this next year. I think it's going to take all of us a year to two years to prepare our own hearts. Dave and I have not entered into this, I'll call it challenge, without having to put our own hearts on trial and answer some tough, difficult questions personally. And I could not stand your, we could not stand before you through this next year and talk about what we believe with all our hearts is to come. You tell me if it's not. If it's not, God's grace is upon us one more time um, without having gone through that journey ahead of time. God doesn't call us, um, God doesn't call us to um, very hard and difficult circumstances unless He's prepared us beforehand or He's tried to prepare us beforehand. Okay? And I think it's important for, for, that, for me to say that. A um, couple comments I, I'm reading to you from John MacArthur's commentary on the introduction to Peter. He says, um, I want to read this for you. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough that the, for the disciple that he become his teacher and the slave that, like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the, the members of his household? 
Centuries before his birth, Isaiah predicted that Christ would be despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The Apostle John noted his rejection by the sinful world. He said he was in the world he was made, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him, and he came to his own, and, his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Uh, Jesus plainly told the disciples that he was going to suffer and be killed. Um, Matthew records that Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Remember, that was the key verse that um, Dave read as to the, um, the, uh, the, the jugular uh, inflection point in, in Christ's ministry. Unable to attack Jesus after his assumption, the enemies of truth assaulted his followers. Stung by its phenomenal growth, the Jewish authorities desperately and futilely tried to stamp out the newly formed church. Um, the next day, the Sanhedrin um, ordered them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Undaunted, the apostles continued to preach the gospel, and as a result, the high priest rose up along with his associates, the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy, and they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail and resumed preaching, and they resumed preaching the gospel. Um, hauled before the Sanhedrin a second time, the apostles were once again ordered to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, a threat punctuated this time with a beating. The bold, powerful preacher Stephen faced opposition, arrests, trial before the Sanhedrin, and martyrdom. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I read that account of Stephen... And we hear about this word called um, stoning. And we really don't enter into the experience. We really don't have a view of... Um, I don't know if you've seen some of these movies of the Middle East. Um, uh, I think, we, I think we, we, we gloss over what that stoning looked like. It was spearheaded by the young Jewish firebrand Saul of Tarsus, who would become Apostle Paul. Later, the wicked King Herod killed James, uh, the brother of John, and arrested Peter, only to see the latter miraculously freed from jail by an angel. Uh, following his dramatic conversion while en route to Damascus, Paul, once the church's most vicious persecutor, became its most zealous missionary. As time went on, the persecution of the church became more organized, widespread, and barbaric. What became what began as isolated acts by the Jewish authorities or Jewish and Gentile mobs gradually evolved into the official policy of the Roman government, which saw the refusal of Christians to participate in the state religion as a form of rebellion. Three centuries of increasing savage and widespread persecutions culminated early in the 4th century under, uh, under Emperor, Emperor Diocletian's all-out effort to stamp out the church. In a startling reversal of this, um, which is fascinating, uh, Constantine in 313 AD, uh, along with the ruler of the eastern part of the empire, Licinius, issued a, the Edict of Milan, which granted full toleration of the Christian faith. Under the Roman Catholic Church, which replaced Imperial Rome as the dominant power through the Middle Ages, persecution broke out anew. The horrors of the Inquisition, St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, and the martyrdoms of men like John Haas, Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley, Thomas Cranmer, and William Tyndale epitomized the Roman Church's effort to exterminate the gospel of Jesus Christ. More recently, Christians have been brutally repressed by communist and Islamic regimes all over this world. As Peter penned this epistle, the dark clouds of the great outbreak of official persecution instigated by the insane Emperor Nero were already gathering on the 
on the dark background of the horizon, seeking scapegoats to divert the public's suspicion that he had started the Great Fire in July 64, that devastated Rome, Nero pinned the blame on Christians whom he already perceived as enemies of Rome because they would worship none but Christ. As a result, they were encased in wax and burned at the stake to light his gardens, crucified and thrown to wild beasts. Through the official persecution, apparently was confined, though, though it was confined to the vicinity of Rome, attacks on Christians undoubtedly spread unchecked by the authorities to other parts of the empire. It was as a result of Nero's persecution that both Peter and Paul were martyred. But before he died, Peter wrote this magnificent epistle to believers whose suffering would in, soon intensify. Throughout the centuries, beleaguered Christians have benefited from the apostles' wise counsel and gentle and encouraging words of comfort. Amen. Um, when we look at the letter's destination and recipients, you see up above there in the what we call uh, present-day Turkey, if you look at Romans, I mean, First uh, Peter 1, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, those who are, quote, chosen. And so those, those uh, uh, if you see up there, those, uh, um, those cities, those, those, those areas um, are in present-day Turkey. Um, the ordering of them, when you go from top, kind of count, uh, clockwise, prob- probably was the route by which, and the churches in those areas, by which um, Silvanus took. Um, Silvanus is the individual that P- Peter gave the letter to to deliver, and you'll find that in chapter 5, verse 12. Um, Paul did um, go to Asia and Galatia and possibly could have um, founded the churches there, um, but uh, we don't know too much at all about Bithynia, Pont- Pontus, and Cappadocia. Um, uh, possibly some of Paul's converts from Asia and Galatia moved up there and, and opened the, and started those churches. They possibly could have come from the Pentecost. Um, it, it could have come from a, a visit there that we know nothing about from the scriptures from Peter. Um, but um, I, I want to make it clear that the congregations that he that Peter's writing to, um, even though Peter um, was primarily um, uh, Uh, set aside by God to um, go to the Jewish people, and Paul was primarily to the Gentile people. These churches were, the congregations were primarily Gentiles. Take a look with me at uh, chapter 1, verse 14. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Okay, that would not be written to a Jew. Okay? Um, look at one eighteen. He says, "Knowing that that you were not redeemed from things like silver and gold, but from your quote futile way of life inherited from your forefathers." That would be something that would be written to a Gentile. Your forefathers, if you were Jewish, would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay. Um, two nine and ten. He says, "You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation." People for God's own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, okay, but now you have become the people of God. Did not have mercy, now have received mercy. Very similar language that we see in, in Ephesians and Galatians. Um, and then last but not least, 4, 3, and 4. 
4, 3, and 4, for the time is already past, is sufficient for you to have, quote, carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Okay, so that would be something that he would write of the Gentiles. But again, there were some Jews there too, um, but primarily Gentiles as to the focus of his letter. Um, the place and date of the letter, of the letter uh, if you look at uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 13, he says, um, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends your, your, you greetings, and so does it, my son Mark. A couple quick comments around this as far as options go. There's three of them. One could be that it was, it was the, the city of Babylon was the city we know as Babylon, which was in, in Mesopotamia. Current day what? Iraq, right. Um, but most likely, I mean, it, was very, it, it wasn't very um, populated at that time. And, and when you look at a map, it's like, like I mean, there's no other language in, this, in the scriptures that talk about how, you know, uh, Sylvanus, Mark, and Peter got all the way over there at the same time. So it doesn't, it doesn't quite uh, make sense. Um, Babylon uh, on the Nile River in Egypt could be. Down, it's down on the Nile River down there. There's a city called uh, uh, Babylon there. Uh, remember, he says, by the waters of Babylon, we knelt down. Okay, so, um, uh, so little more than a mil- Roman military outpost. Improbable that pre- Peter, Mark, and Silvanus all lived there at the same time either. Uh, so most likely, this was Babylon was a cryptic name for Rome, a cryptic name for Rome. Uh, again, chosen by believers <coughs> to use, um, most likely to keep uh, um, Peter from endangering them, uh, and you, was used as a code word. Um, it really does support the early church tradition in many ways that um, they talked about Rome as Babylon also. The date of the letter um, was written just before Nero's persecution, uh, which broke out, as we said this morning, in July of 64, when he made the decision to uh, burn Rome and, 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 and um, blame the believers. So probably the early part of that year, uh, late, latter part of, um, of uh, 63. Um, the absence of references to martyrdom itself um, uh, supports this. Um, we would we would see that really a part of the uh, uh, the language, and we don't see that in here. We see it leading up to it. We see storm clouds on the horizon, but we don't see that uh, at this time. Um, purpose and context of the letter. If you turn to First uh, uh, Peter five twelve, First Peter five twelve says. <coughs> Excuse me. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, so I regard him. I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So, he's, he, next two weeks we will talk about the grace of God. Talk about the grace of God in election, and we're going to talk about how that builds to be the framework by which he's saying, understand this and live in it. Um, um, Yes, he was. Um, what uh, the question was 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 Nero considered mentally deranged? There, there were many of his his counterparts who believed that um, that he was. Um, and uh, um, when you look at whether it was mentally deranged or thoroughly empowered by the adversary, um, one of the two usually ends up being true. Um, 
because a man doesn't do the kinds of things he did without um, without something that's you know not not right. Yeah, uh, I don't think so. No, no, he was. Uh, I think he took it by by uh, force, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Right. Yep. But that was his. That was his goal was to build the empire, empire in 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 the city, you know, as the center of the universe, if you would. So he's uh, really t- asking them to stand tr- firm in true grace in the face of escalating persecution and suffering. Turn to two twenty one with me. He says, uh, "For this reason, you have been called for this purpose." Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving for you an example to follow in his steps. Leaving you an example to follow in his steps. He says you have been called for this purpose. What is this purpose? It is suffering. Fascinating. And yet, you know, very few of us have touched this. Um, So the themes of the letter, um, let me just read them off and then we'll talk about them in a second. I did a lot of work on this to try to really extract without, you know, any other help really just try what is what 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 are the themes that that resonate in this letter um love god suffering evil christ joy faith spirit goal glory holy living hope purpose grace precious and submission well how do they how do they characterize themselves into into some themes let's take a look at that first of all um god christ and spirit this is this this letter is pregnant with with god from the standpoint of talking about Christ, talking about the, whole, the Spirit, talking about um, God Himself. Um, in fact, all of these things up above are used 67 times. 67 times on the right-hand side there. Um, and, and from the standpoint of glory, um, just, just look at a couple of these really quickly. Uh, uh, 121, he says... Um, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Um, Another one is uh, 24. Um, uh, All flesh are like grass, and all its glory are like the flower of the grass. Um, Another one is uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 11. He says... um, um, so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then he says a similar thing down below low in verse 16, he says, of chapter 4, he says, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in, the name, in that name let him glorify God. Um, let him glorify God. And last but not least in chapter 5, um, verse 1, he's talking about um, the glory to be revealed. Um, verse 4, he's talking about, the, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the, quote, unfading crown of glory. And then verse 10, he says, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Amen. Well, next part of the theme is suffering and evil. It's that suffering and evil are in are in this world, and they are um, they are growing. Do you ever remember the um, the Hobbit series? And you get in some of those situations, you just feel like you know, the evil is on the on the prowl, and it's growing, and it's like every time you turn around, it's there. Well, I would suggest that that's like today. <laughs> you know, it's growing. 
And if you tie the, 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 the golden threads together, you'll see the incredible tapestry that is happening before our very eyes. Um, next, next set of themes is, is that there is purpose in life and that you are precious in the middle of this and that um, the antidote to evil and suffering is to submit this issue of submission is going to like explode across our so what's in our life. And we're going to learn what it means. We're going to learn what it means. Um, and then the last piece is, once we've done those things, God does an amazing work as a result of our ability to be a testimony for His grace. And 40 times He speaks of either grace or love or holiness or holy or faith or this living hope we have and joy. And He, and he like says, if you just submit to God's hand in your life, these character traits and fruits of the Spirit are going to just become who you are. And you then will be the testimony of God's grace in the midst of great suffering and persecution. He says, there's purpose here. God is still there, and He is orchestrating these things. But, I mean, if you were in, in that day, w- would you be tempted to ask, you know, I mean, God, where are you? Would you be tempted to, when the crisis hits, you lose your job, you lose everything you owned, you are ostracized from your community, would you be tempted to put God on trial? Yeah. He says, no. I am in control. And I will tell you about this incredible living hope. The outline of the letter... First two verses we'll hit next next two weeks is our election into grace. Then he takes a, 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 a detour and he talks about our past. And he says, remember our anchor. Our anchor is this great salvation we have. Go to chapter 1. And he says, um, uh, uh, Verse 4, he says, To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Amen. Verse 10, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry. Verse 19, You were you rescued from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers with the precious blood of Christ. Wow. Second portion is our present our present. Remember our testimony. If we have an anchor, remember Hebrews, he says, so we have an anchor for our soul, right? It's our anchor for our soul. And, and now, we're, now he's talking about our present. He says, remember our testimony. Remember our testimony when you're in the thick and thin of it. Remember that everything in life really matters when we navigate it well. Um, I, I'll tell you, I, I've seen, it, I call them the little trials and situations going on in our church, okay? Um, And and I don't for a second diminish them. One iota. But I just want to say they're not what what, what could be. And if we stumble on the little things of life, as I call it little, I get it, you know, every challenge is, is tremendous in our life, then don't you, don't you wonder what will happen then? Yeah, I do. I ask myself that question. 
is God is preparing me today for something in the future. And, and some of this has to do with the way we interact with government. God gives us clarity of how to interact with a government that is the Roman government. Not the incredible things that we have privilege today on. He tells us how to interact with employers who treat us wrong and actually bias against us. Suffering. He tells us how to, how to be a wife and navigate life with a husband that doesn't know Christ and actually persecutes her. He tells us how to navigate as a husband to live with our wives in an understanding way. And he gives us great clarity of how to love one another in the midst of all of that in what we call community. So that those who are looking from the outside go, I don't know what it is about those people, but they're a rare breed, and I want to know more. Our future. Chapter 4, 7 through five eleven. Remember our living hope. Remember our living hope. He says that our living, our, we have a living hope that God has prepared for us. It is there, it is, it is coming. And, and the whole promise in the midst of any persecution and suffering is that there is hope. Viktor Frankl says, I can go through anything if I have hope. And last but not least, closing and benediction. Turn with me, if you would, to First Chronicles. First Chronicles. Chapter 12, verse 32. 1 Chronicles, chapter 12, verse 32. Would somebody read that out loud, really out loud? Well, I'm sorry, 32. Oh, sorry. Of the sons of Issachar, men who involved So, when, when Is- the sons of Issachar, they're amazing men. They could do two things in life, and they were known for this. They were men who, quote, understood the times. They understood what was happening in the world. And number two, they formulated a strategy to be ready for the times. Formulate a strategy to be ready for the times. So they, they were able to read the tea leaves, so to speak, right? And to be able to determine what's the so what. I suggest to you that's where we're at today. So I want to just walk you through these things, if you would. This was yesterday. This was yesterday. I was like, really? (laughs) Really? You already mentioned one of these today, which is the religious-backed organizations want to pay birth control, right? But, But look at this, what's happening here in Greece. Greek anger boils over new austerity cut looms. Greek descending into chaos, resignations, violent protests, and austerity. And... And But for the fact that you think that's over there, let me draw the lines for you. Okay? Let me draw the lines. Men of Issachar understood the times and knew what to do. I'm going to run through these really quick. Okay? So stay with me. I'm going to read them, basically. I don't normally do this, but I just want to go through it, and I want you to get the impact. Okay? Global economic underpinnings are interdependent from economy and money. I'm going to bring you ten categories. Possible Greece, Italy, Spain, defaults on loans, support catastrophic domino linkages in the EU and the United States, along with massive uprisings in the streets due to austerity implications. I handed out to you a handout that gives you 15 reasons why if if Greece defaults, the ripple effect across the world. You say it's just a small nation. 
Yeah, you know what? It's kind of where the Western civilization was founded. <laughs> okay? Our government is broke. $15 trillion in debt and rising a trillion dollars a year. And this doesn't include Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. Total unfunded liabilities is said to be as high as $117 trillion. Each American taxpayer would have to cough up over a million dollars just to meet the government's promised obligations. And that does not include the average personal debt per citizen of over $50,000. Many EU countries and U.S. sovereign currency have been downgraded already. We saw this this last year. And when you downgrade currency, what? You have to pay higher interest, right? Um, yet both continue to print money, and the dollar's role as the world's default currency is literally at risk. If that changes, everything dominoes. Everything dominoes, because we can't print anymore. The only reason why we can print today is because we own the currency. And what does printing do? lowers the cost, uh, the, the value of the dollar significantly because it's no longer tied to gold standard. It used to be that we had a one-for-one -one relationship with gold. Remember? Okay. Money is becoming electronic versus physical. Price of gold, platinum, silver continue to escalate significantly year on year. And this just came out this last week. China has just embarked on a clandestine plan to own the world's gold. You won't read it in any place. But behind the scenes, they're buying it all up. Pardon me? Yes. We're selling it to them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you got some, huh? <laughs> um, I'm not going to go through this, but this is an amazing handout I gave you. This literally, there's a site, a URL you can go to, that real time shows you this. This was printed on, Tuesday, on Thursday. Um, but go through this and look at this. This is... Utterly amazing in that um, you can see uh, the top there on the left is U.S. national debt. Top right is income. Uh, you can see the largest budget items there of Medicaid, Social Security, defense, in, uh, uh, all that there. You can see the middle section, which is the U.S. total debt. Okay, so the U.S. national debt is up in the top left. That's $15.5 trillion. U.S. debt in the middle is $56 trillion. Okay, um, uh, the, uh, uh, and then down at the bottom, uh, you'll see um, small business assets in the green, corporate assets, household assets. Add up all the assets that we own for a nation. It's $77 trillion against what we owe, which is unfunded liabilities of $117 trillion. Oh, my goodness. And then down the right-hand side, you see the population. You see your per-person per, uh, per numbers there. Um, this isn't going to work if I don't hit the, the, this button here. Um, so I, be, due to time, we don't have the ability to, um, to uh, talk through this in more depth, okay? Um, but uh, I do wanted to make sure that you uh, had the information. So next, go to this other handout I gave you. If you take $117 trillion and visually understand how it impacts us, let me quickly run through the numbers. $100 bill. I don't know about you, but I don't have too many of these laying around. Okay? <laughs> and I normally don't carry them in my wallet. All right? That's a $100 bill. Down below is $10,000. $10,000 is approximately one year of work for the average human being on earth. That bottom pack. One year of work for the average human being on, work, on earth. Okay? This is $1 million. 
$1 million. This represents 92 years of work for the average human being on earth. 92 years of work. This represents $100 million. That's a normal pallet there. Normal pallet, okay? And uh, this, this now represents $100 million. Okay? This represents $1 billion. So it's 10 pallets. 10 pallets, uh, the same size there, okay? 10 pallets. This represents $1 trillion. And by the way, this is double stacked pallets. Double stacked pallets. What it says is that if you spent $1 million a day since Jesus Christ, you would have only spent $700 billion. If you spent that that uh, that that uh, that many, excuse me, sir. If you can hit quit there or exit, yeah. and then uh, I'm sorry. Let's, let's just go back here. I'm sorry. Um, so that's that's double stacked. Next is one trillion dollars in relationship to football fields. Football fields. Okay. Next here is one the one trillion dollars. Um, uh, now, now multiply it by fifteen. How big was our how big was our was our debt? It was it was uh, one hundred fifteen trillion, right? I mean, uh, fifteen trillion, right? So that is fifteen trillion dollars. Okay, fifteen trillion dollars compared to now one hundred seventeen trillion dollars. So this was to the Statue of Liberty. Okay. This is going from 15 trillion, which is our current debt, to the unfunded debt that we owe as a country, and it eclipses the Empire State Building, eclipses the uh, the, the the towers, twin tra- twin towers that existed. And you ask yourself the question: Like, uh, can we ever get there from here? I mean, I mean, how many people in here had a view to how bad this was? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. Geopolitics. Israel claims her land and becomes a nation in 1948. How many people know how many Jews there are alive in planet Earth? Pardon me? There's 12 million Jews alive on planet Earth. 12 million Jews against 7 billion people, and, and, and Israel has become the epicenter of the world. 7 billion people, 12 million Jews, six of which are outside Israel, six of which are inside Israel. Um, democracy falters in Russia, who is courting Iran and the Islamic nations for the first time in all of history. I don't know whether you know it, but in this, the current uh, decision that was made last week, as far as Syria goes, Russia and China were the abstaining partners to moving forward with, with action in Syria. To which, every day, now we have more than 5,500 people who have been killed as civilians. Never in the history of the world has Russia aligned themselves with Iran. Never. And now they're in bed with them. What war tells me about that in Scripture? Well, even before that, Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog, right. A power struggle is emerging in Europe and the Middle East. Islamic extremists seek for both the United States, the big Satan, and Israel's little Satan's annihilation. 
Peace for Israel is becoming one of the rarest possessions. Fostering of tensions in the Middle East and the readiness for war exists. I don't know whether you know it, but um, they're going to go to war in the next couple of months. I mean, did you know that? Iran and Israel. Israel will, will do what they need to do. Yep. Um, except for the United States, world unification against a common foe w- uh, would occur, and that would be Israel. Continual migration of Jews back to Israel, and the geopolitical landscape is amok. Look at this picture on the bottom right corner here, and you'll see the hands from a puppet perspective that are controlling this world. Those are unseen hands, but they are happening right now. Okay? Um, terrorism and peace. Safety and security has been eclipsed by the economy since 9-11. Defense spending is bimodal but changing rapidly. What I mean by bimodal is there are three countries in the world that spent on defense. U.S., Britain, and Israel. And, and France, maybe. Okay? Now, it's exploding. Russia, everybody. Okay? The world is becoming an incredibly dangerous landscape littered with the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction that is unmatched in the history of the world. Our borders are porous and have been, been and are being infiltrated by jihadists in, in partnership with the drug lords, leaving us totally compromised as it pertains to national security. Israel will most likely engage Iran's nuclear apparatus in 2012, I think it's the next few months, and probably spark a regional war which may draw in the United States, the Arab Union, Egypt, Turkey, Syria, Lebanon, European Union, and Russia. On the same slide I showed you when we started this section about Greece, on the same section it said if Iran gets a nuclear uh, bomb, Saudi Arabia will get one too. They will, they will buy one, probably. Once, so look at this next one. This is quite concerning. One strategically bomb place nuclear bomb detonated hundreds of miles above the surface of the United States would create a high altitude HEMP. It's called high altitude electromagnetic pulse. This pulse would come from this device that would neutralize all line of sight computers, um, the servers undergirding the internet, the entire power grid, and this would put us back into the 1800s. Disruption would be immense. In a matter of hours, there would be large-scale looting in the major cities, and in the days uh, there would be riots in all the large cities over food and water. Martial law would be declared, and Homeland Security would nationalize all the police forces and take control over managing the people of the United States. All major transportation systems would be broken. Most means of communication would not be possible. No TV, little radio, no usable cell phones, no Internet, no food, water, distribution, other than that which would be directed by DHS. Um, all essentials would be um, rationed. Those carrying out their activity, their directives would confiscate all known critical supplies. All able-bodied manpower in the United States would have to report for assignment to the DHS. All financial assets would be frozen. There would be no access to any money. The stock market would be closed, and the U.S. dollar would become nearly worthless on the world market. For weeks and months and perhaps years, there would be little gross national product in the United States. The U.S. is the largest debtor in the world, and so she would be forced to default on all her debt, bringing bringing about a massive worldwide depression. Technology, um, media, and knowledge. Today's, uh, excuse me, um, did I miss something? I'm sorry, here, let me get this back. Yeah. Technology is becoming capable to manage the mark of the beast, including worldwide asset tracking that exists today. 
Um, it took 38 years uh, for radio, uh, TV 13 years, internet 4 years, and iPod 3 years to reach a market audience of 50 million. Facebook had added 100 million, do- million users in 9 months iPod app downloads hit a billion in nine months. If Facebook were a country, it would be the largest, uh, fourth largest in the world. Untethered, ubiquitous global communication, along with the Internet, by the way, has emancipated the explosion of knowledge. A sinister and growing existential threat exists, which is creating a climate of global deception for co-opting the media. Cable and Internet only exist yet as the last bastions from keeping this from happening. The amount of new technical information is doubling every two years. For students starting a four-year technical degree, half of what they learn in the first year of study will be outdated by the third year of study. Today's learners will have 10 to 14 jobs by age 38. One of four workers has been with their current employer for less than one year. One out of two has been there for less than five years. We are currently preparing students for jobs that don't, that don't yet exist using technologies that have never been yet inter- invented. The top 10 jobs in 2010 didn't even exist in 2004. The first 21st century, let this sink in, will be equivalent to 20,000 years of progress at today's rate of progress. Heavy indoctrination underway in our public schools and rewriting history in their textbooks, including the Judeo-Christian foundations. Transportation is worldwide. We can get any place we want you know, within you know, a few hours. Disease and, and disasters. Um, uh, Pandemic disease possibilities are multiplying every day. They just took one situation off the off 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 the uh, um, public because it was getting so so uh, uh, crazy. They were actually putting how to make this out on the web. Um, increasing seismic activity produced producing increasing increased major earthquakes worldwide. Drought causing famine, growth, and starvation. Energy and fuel dependence. Um, oil. Um, Dependencies has changed the political construct and becoming a national security concern. Food prices continue to escalate significantly. Freedom and democracy, the Arab Spring, Iraq and Afghanistan's futures uh, are at stake. Um, compromise due to, uh, freedom is compromised due to Islamic extremism and Sharia law. And our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence, and our Bill of Rights, as we've known them, are fully at stake today. Um, religion. Um, radical Islam is on the prowl worldwide. It's committed to establishing a worldwide caliphate, no matter what the cost. An abundance of prophets. The scriptures prophesy either exist or is believed to be eminent. You know, talk about the twelfth Imam in in Islam. Uh, this worldwide caliphate. Religious leaders uh, debate the authority of scripture and pursue ecumenism and tolerance. Um, by the way, uh, if you remember um, in First Timothy, he says in the last days, he, men will become lovers of self, and all these different things are happening right before our eyes. Today, uh, um, creating a global pattern of uh, um, religious open-mindedness, um, paving the way for establishment of not only one world religion, but also one world government, growing relig- realization amongst the Jews that there's no hope but in God and that the fulfillment of prophecy is on the immediate horizon. That's why they're going where they're going. They've read, they've read prophecy, and they believe that, you know what, bring it on. God wins, and they don't quite fully understand it, right? But um, that, that's, that's their perspective now. Uh, religion is married tolerance and politics. Uh, leadership, we were talking about that earlier. True and trusted leadership is becoming increasingly and extremely rare in all venues. 
whether it's business, whether it's politics, wherever it is, you show me a person who is a steward of that venue, one who has the commitment, the full-scale commitment to leave it better than when they came, as opposed to serve themselves, and I'll show you a true leader. The twelve, the two thousand. Uh, it is clear that God is allowing adversary, the adversary, to raise up his own leaders as pawns on the world stage to prepare the way for the end of days and Antichrist. The 2012 presidential election will be, and I will pause, the most momentous, destiny-shaping, transformational election in the history of the United States. Period. End of statement. Persecution. 200 million Christians in at least 60 countries are denied fundamental human rights solely because of their faith. Christians are the most persecuted group. 75 out of every 100 people killed due to religious hatred are Christians. In the past 100 years, during the 20th century, 26 million Christians um, uh, were martyred for their faith. This is more than the combined total of all previous centuries. It does not count the untold numbers uh, who were persecuted in other ways, imprisoned, tortured, and enslaved. Um, and let me just say, for to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Philippians 1.29 Well, last but not least, let me just talk about, in closing, so what? Um, the title of our First Peter study is Experiencing Victory in a, in, in a Hostile World. It's a primer for winning the war that really, really matters. And uh, read this with me, if you would. These have come so that your faith of greater, that your faith of greater worth, be, be of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, which may, which, which may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and uh, uh, honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Amen. Well, last but not least, bringing it all home. A couple things, real quick, in closing. Um, let me just hit them very quickly. When it's all said and done, okay, is our God, is your God still on the throne? Is He still on the throne? Is He still in control? I challenge you, Romans 13, 11 and 12, I'll, I'll read it uh, due to time, but it says this, it says, And this do, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. What is my heart really anchored to? I, I suggest this year, in our lives, it's about asking this tough question. What is, our, what is our heart anchored to? If God took away my house, if God took away my job, if God took away everything I own, am I okay with that? And would I still worship Him? And would I still live for Him? And would He be, as the next one says, um, all, when it's all, what will happen when all, is, all, is de- all I held dear is stripped away? What, have I made Him my one magnificent obsession in my life? Can I answer that question? Absolutely. My prayer is that all of us can answer that question. Last and, and just in closing, have I begun the journey of experiencing real community? There is a reason why we have community groups. It's because that's where this whole thing will take place. If they shut down churches, it's about community groups. It's about doing life and living life together. And having that be where we love one another and we take care of one another. Am I in debt and living beyond my means? 
That's a tough question. I had to personally deal with this, this question two years ago when we went through the Dave Ramsey series. And Sally and I set out a course to become debt-free. And I challenge you, I challenge you today to go down that same route. I, I challenge you because, because who knows how this will play into things. And then, are all God's promises true? Are all God's promises true? You know, this really spawns two, two big questions. Do I really know my God? And do I really know His Word? Do I really know my God? And do I really know His Word? Because you know what? His Word may be taken away from me. This Bible that I love so much may be taken away from me. Do I know His Word? Could I memorize it? Could, do I know it to repeat it? Do I know how to use it in the right situations? Can I encourage with it? Can I exhort with it? Can I admonish with it? Last but not least, will I trust Him now? When, I, when I'm in the little, I'll call it again, the little trials today, God is preparing me for something much greater. And every single thing counts in my life. And you may listen to this, whether you're on the internet or listening here in the, in the room, you may say, you know, oh Mark, you are so far out. Okay? That, 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 that won't happen. And if it does, it's a long time. I, I pray to God that that's the case. But you know what? If it's not, have you prepared your heart for walking this journey? Because it is those men and women that Daniel says will shine brighter than the sun in the face of great tribulation are the ones who will love their God and live for Him and will establish the crown of life as it pertains to being a testimony for Him in the midst of great challenge. It's not a great thing to hear this morning, is it? And my apologies to you from the standpoint of if it's like rocky, rocky world. But you know what? That's what truth does. And I don't know what God's doing with this. I really don't. I've really asked Him to sift my heart. Asked Him to really determine, is this the right message? You know. But I, every time I've come back and said, like, be faithful. Speak the truth. Talk about what's reality. And I will be God in the midst of it. Cheryl, would you stand and give us and pray for us in closing? Amen. Have a great day.